Hey, hey, friends. Welcome, welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators podcast. I am Haley and here with my regular co-hosts, Charlie and McGill. How is it going, friends? Doing good. Yeah? Yeah, going good. I'm actually um, currently just tweeting that we're live. So if anyone wants to join us, just a little behind the scenes for everyone listening that we do record (laughs) this live. And sometimes I tweet before. If you are hearing this. Yeah, and sometimes I forget. (laughs) Well, if you're hearing this now on your podcast, you're too late. It's over. Maybe next week. Yeah, but you can join next week at 1230 (laughs) Eastern time. So just saying. (laughs) Somehow, even when we don't talk about Twitter, we somehow end up talking about Twitter. (laughs) Just, you know. Well, you don't want to know my have you heard. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, Miguel. Oh, my God. (laughs) I did Twitter like three times in a row. So I like specifically made sure not to. So don't worry. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, why don't we kick us off? Uh, uh, Miguel, you can kick us off with have you heard today then. Yeah. Okay. Instead of Twitter, I uh, talk about Instagram. So not not a big leap (laughs) as far as that's concerned. But Instagram is working on a video reaction option for Reels. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because... TikTok does this. Hmm. And TikTok largely, like, if you're not familiar what a reaction reel is, is somebody will like side by side play them reacting to another video. And these are really popular on TikTok. Usually if it's like something funny, uh, or sometimes it's like, it can be something serious and somebody's reacting to like the words that someone says, like, and usually they do it not by talking over the video, but like, there's like a They'll, they'll show funny facial expressions, like someone says something crazy and then they'll like look shocked or whatever. It sounds really dumb when you explain it, but they're super freaking popular. <laughs> and uh, Instagram is jumping on the bandwagon. So we're all slowly racing towards becoming the same app, it sounds like. That has been Instagram's MO from day one, though, had <laughs> to, to just copy other things. I mean, Reels themselves isn't their idea. Yeah. It's Snapchat. But they like credit to them. They do it pretty well when they do make a copy. Like I use Instagram stories way more than I ever used Snapchat, for example. They just do it better. Yeah. Well, we'll see for this one. (laughs) As a good lead in, there were so many, there's reasons why Instagram is better at everything. And there's all, or reasons why creators prefer Instagram over all the other, I mean, since the creator economy report kind of lead says that. Right. Spoiler alert, that's today's topic. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> they actively like Instagram for a lot of things and they actively dislike Facebook for a lot of things, which is funny because yes. it's the same company. But yes. Meta. It's meta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started. Uh, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, what's your have you heard? Well, mine is also social media related, as they often are. <laughs> this one's about TikTok. I don't know if you all saw that. Halsey has spoken out about the pressure that the, her record company is putting on her, that they won't give her a release date for her album, I believe it is, unless she has like some way to create a viral moment about it on TikTok. Like they specifically want to line up an album release with going viral on TikTok because that is what's going to lead to sales. And so she shared about this, ironically, on TikTok. She made one with a song in the background about why her record label was making her do this. Well, I wanted her to do this. And a bunch of other artists have come forward about it as well and said that they are also hearing this pressure, that their record labels are just like all in on TikTok for marketing and requiring a lot from the artist. It's just really interesting for me and kind of sad to think that this is the state of published music, right? Like with a record label is that you have to have this. Um, And essentially you have to be a creator, a content creator in order to be successful in music these days, it seems. 
we've talked about this before, but like they're removing the ability for creators to be creative because they're forcing them to be creative in an area they don't want to be creative in. Yeah. That's just like quite the mind F. I don't love that. My have you heard is a duplicate, but it's important. (laughs) Not a duplicate of what y'all just said, but a duplicate (laughs) of last week. For those of you who have not heard this or seen an email about it, we are hosting Craft and Commerce. Finally, again, after a two-year break this year, we're hosting it on June 23rd through the 25th in Boise, Idaho. I am a Boise fangirl. I don't want everyone to move here, but I do want people to come visit here. So come join us because I think even Miguel like really put the hammer down last week when he was talking about how wonderful of a conference it is and that he can attest to it. Charlie agreed that Boise was a wonderful Mm -hmm. city. But most importantly, the reason you should come is because it is a fantastic community of creators like you that are all looking to get better and to meet other creators like themselves. So, you know, the internet can be a lonely place and conferences when done right, really allow us to all be together and kind of grow the community that we need. Yep. So join us for Craft and Commerce 2022. Please, it's conference.convertkit.com to get your tickets. And seriously, it is like a Conferences like this ones that are actually curated for creators and like designed to help you grow your business. I always find myself having these like aha moments at them that Mm -hmm. I like think back on years later, like at the last in-person craft and commerce that I was able to go to hearing Rachel Rogers and talking about making it to seven figures and we can all be millionaires. That was a huge mindset shift for me. And I don't know if I would have gotten that without seeing her speak at the conference. So yeah, Yeah. you're going to learn a lot this year from the great creators speaking. Also, I'll be teaching a breakout session there. So there we go. Well, there's your reason. Forget mine. Go for Miguel's reason. Yeah, Forget what she (laughs) said. Come hang out with me. Me too. Me too. Come to mine, not Miguel's. Come to mine. Both of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We can try to arrange the schedule so you're not competing. (laughs) Also, spoiler alert, Haley is not originally from Boise, so she moved there too. So a little bit of a hypocrite, but that's cool. (laughs) Oh yeah. Haven't you heard? Haley's from LA. (laughs) Yeah. Have you heard? She's from LA. Boo. (laughs) It's Boise. Okay. There's no Z in Boise. Okay. It's Boise. Okay. Okay. People will know you're not from here if you say Boise and you don't want to upset the local Idahoans. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know better. And I say Boise. And then my wife is like, why are you saying it like that? So everybody outside of Boise says Boise. So you sound like an idiot if you say it right outside of there. So I'm just trying to not get yelled at by and made fun of. Because then it looks like I have a speech impediment when I say Boise. They're like, why are you talking like an idiot? Like it's Boise. Oh my gosh, this brings me so much happiness. So a few years ago, I was at an event, a concert event and Matt Carney, who was later on creator sessions. And I told him this story and he totally remembered it. And it was fantastic. But he said, he like came out on stage and he's like, what's up Boise? And then everybody's (laughs) like, it's Boise. And then they were like, (laughs) what's the crowd's response? The crowd's (laughs) response. And then he's like, I said Boise. He's like, I'm from Bend, (laughs) Oregon. I know that it's Boise. That's what I said. Like, and then there was this like, (laughs) Argumented, <laughs> like lost the audience <laughs> at the very beginning. <laughs> yes, it was so good. Anyways, let's move on to the 
bulk of today's topic, we are talking about the state of the creator economy report, which is something that we teased a little bit last week. It has also been something that um, our whole team, but Charlie specifically, has been working on for the last several months. It's so beautifully designed, and I want to give it like you know all the credit it deserves for that. But what is actually most important about this creator economy report is the contents of it. It is filled Mm -hmm. with so much unbelievable information and details about where we stand in the creator economy in 2022. It even talks about what is the creator economy. It breaks down all the different ways that creators are earning money, how they're earning their money, what type of content they're creating, what is their um, favorite place, where's their favorite place to create content. And so that is what we are going to dig in today. So maybe Charlie, I'll have you give a a quick overview of outside of what I just said. Is there anything that you wanted to add? No, I think you summed it up well. I think that we wanted to do this research because as well, the the creator economy, that term has been mostly used by VC companies for investing in companies that are targeting creators. And I, I kind of felt like that that term and that like name for the the space, the industry basically that we work within um, was being co-opted from us, from creators. And so we wanted to focus on creators specifically. And that's what we're like, we're putting the creator back in the creator economy with this report and digging in on them. So that's my little pitch for that. Awesome. Well, so as far as the format goes, um, each of us, there is so much stinking data in this report that it would be impossible to cover all of it. So we've each come prepared with some of our favorite or kind of most surprising like pieces of data or something that was just really interesting to us. And we're just going to have a a chat. And then our goal or our hope is that it piques your interest enough to go download the report yourself. I think Charlie already threw that up on the screen, but you can can get the full report. (laughs) We both clicked on the banner at the same time. <laughs> you click it, Haley. You click it. There we go. Convertkit.com forward Convertkit.com slash reports slash creator economy 2022. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Well, Charlie, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I would love to. So one thing that I found particularly fascinating and also like a little bit enraging, honestly, from the, the results of this report was that our data showed that there is a gender pay gap in the creator economy. This is something that I always like inherently felt was there. I just felt like it was probably the case, but that also, you know, you can have hope, right? Women outnumbered men in the response to the survey, two to one, but we found that men were more than twice as likely to earn over 150000 a year, which was the highest income bracket that we had. Uh, I think it was 35% of men who responded earned over 100000 per year compared to just 19% of women. So there's a, there's a big gap there in that the higher earners in the creator economy are more likely to be men. And we've also broke this down into sponsorship income as well. Nearly 20% of men earn more than 5000 a month from sponsorships compared to 12% of women, which honestly really surprised me because when I think of brand sponsorships, I do think of that women dominate the space in Instagram content, lifestyle content. But clearly, I don't know, there's still something in there and that men are able to command a higher higher income or that brands just see men as more valuable or I don't know. I don't know what it is. We don't know the why behind this. We're just reporting on the data, but the gap exists. And so, yeah, we should all be aware of it. 
I think the really interesting thing for me is that if you actually look at this um, graph and if you do have the report or you are looking at it, it's on page 50, is that it looks like, you know, it's a U shape. So in the beginning, the women make more Mm -hmm. money than the men. And then as it gets more expensive, you start to see that inverse. And then it just shoots up once you exceed 150,000. I mean, it's like what, three and a half times. And it's just, it's crazy. But this was also slightly enraging to me. And I, I could not guess why, but I would I would have to imagine that it is um, has something to do with men not being afraid to ask for more money hmm. or ask for a certain amount of money because sometimes, at least I feel like that is often something that I hear from several friends in the industry or things like that is that it's not that they don't think they deserve it. It's that there's the fear of asking where men have like this. Well, all they can do is say no. So that's just kind of my thoughts around it, but it was not an easy one for me to stomach. Yeah. Andrew called out as well in the chat that it could be like a difference in the types of content, like the category that women and men are in. But Mm. to me, that's still a problem if we're valuing women-focused content or products as less valuable than Mm. ones that focus on men. Like it's still an issue. It's just a different reason for the issue. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I didn't actually look into this specifically, but um, I want to say that it was coaches and entrepreneurs or coaches Mm. that teach about entrepreneurship, right? Are the ones that make the most money. Am I remembering Mm -hmm. this correctly? Something like that. Yeah. Did we have a breakdown of women versus men in those two categories or no? No. I mean... I could actually get that if we had prepared in advance, but that is not something I can get right now for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess my point is, is I'm not that, that fast in my spreadsheet. <laughs> is that in traditional society, that is the argument is that men typically yeah. have jobs, right? That are higher paying jobs than women do. And so I, that's why I was asking that is that in this case, for coaches and entrepreneurship or coaches who teach entrepreneurship, right? That is the highest paid creator type. And so I was curious if there was a breakdown for that reason, because then that would completely debunk that, right? (laughs) True, true. True, true. Miguel, what do you got? Well, to kind of piggyback off what you guys are talking about. Also, I noticed that there was almost a 50-50 split in the amount of people who are doing or creators full-time and part-time. Like there's almost an even amount of people that Mm. do either or with the, you know, the, the, the rest of them being like hobbyists or whatever. And so you juxtapose that with the fact that the biggest chunk of people are within the range of like 31 to 60 years old. And then you're talking about women versus men. Those are the, the age range and the, the people who are doing things part-time. I would love to know, do we break up if part-time and full-time, or do we split that up between men and women? Because I imagine women also probably have less of an ability to do this full time because of historically and socially, they are the ones that are usually the people that are home and they're like, they take care of the home. So they have a lot more to do in their home. Men can tend to be able to focus more on their job and then that can be their full focus, whereas women sort of have to juggle a lot. So I wonder if that also comes into play with that as well. Yeah, was that broken up? I don't think I know to realize that if the it was based off of the entire contents of all of the participants or if it was broken up by full-time versus part-time. On our site, it's um it's overall. Mm. But if you want to talk amongst yourselves for a second, I can try and find that data. <laughs> <laughs> we can circle back to that uh, once you figure yeah, it out. We can circle back to it. Yeah, I'm trying to find the right spreadsheet. <laughs> but something I also wanted to point out that I found to answer your first question, Haley, which was, you know, what stood out to me. I thought it was interesting that a lot of 
a lot of what people sell tend to be services and digital products mm. and less so are subscriptions and memberships. And what those things have in common is people tend to sell a lot of one-off things and they don't tend to sell a lot of recurring revenue things, mm -hmm. which are usually the kind of, that's like the gold standard. If you can get some recurring revenue, that gives you runway. That gives you the ability to think, okay, well, this is how much money I can guarantee that I have coming in that I can look forward to having, as opposed to like, I need to constantly be launching something. I need to constantly be putting something out for it to suddenly generate a big pop in sales. It's kind of like the difference between having a salary and like, if you're a real estate person, it's like, you only make money if you sell a house. So if I sell 10 mm -hmm. houses this month, I, it was a great month. Next month I sell no houses. Well, I better make sure I budget my time and my money for those lulls, you know, because there's big boom and big bust periods. And that up and down can be scary when you're in business for yourself. Yeah. That just makes me think of another insider that stood out to me was that the highest income bracket folks did focus more on products than services, which sort of ties into what you're saying, Miguel, about the boom and bust. Like if you're selling a digital product, that can sort of like sell itself and, and work for you. Whereas if you're selling a service, you kind of got to be there to, mm -hmm. to act on it. Yeah. You can set up systems in place to just have it be a recurring model where, you know, you're constantly selling products, but when it's, mm -hmm. when it is you that they're, you're selling, that becomes a top of the funnel or not a top of the funnel, a bottleneck issue, obviously. Leading in, we talked, kind of talked a little bit about this in the beginning. It was a little bit of a teaser, but I thought Maybe, sorry. You know what? I was like about to say, I thought this was interesting, but it's not because I didn't think what? this was, it was more that, sorry, not interesting, surprising. What a sell. Surprising. No. <laughs> surprising. <laughs> On uh, page 31, we were talking about the place that creators start their business is changing. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, the blog was the common place for the creator launch plaid. And in 2021, Instagram took its place. And I know we have talked about this several times times on the podcast before. But for me, if I'm driving down the road, and I see a business that I like, and I'm like, Oh, what is that? I don't do not go to Google, right? I immediately go to Instagram. And that is for physical brick and mortars. That is for creators that I follow. That is for like, if I hear about somebody's name that I'm interested in the very first place that I use, or I go to look for them or search for them is Instagram. And so this is was not a surprise to me. But I'm curious what y'all thought. Yeah, that shift really stood out to me as well. We talk about Instagram a lot in our Have You Heards, maybe less mm -hmm. than we talk about Twitter, but obviously <laughs> like, we should be talking about it because it's clearly important to the to creators. Mm -hmm. It was like originally you see a business and they're promoting themselves, whether it's like on a billboard or whatever, it was always like a phone number. And then eventually mm -hmm. it was like a phone number and a website. It was the dot .com they would put up there. And then now more and more I'm seeing at whatever, because of, uh, for Instagram, like follow us on Instagram, come check us out on Instagram. So people aren't even telling you to go to their website anymore. They're saying, check us out on Instagram. Yeah. Because I feel like with their website, it's like, I'm coming to you to learn information with Instagram. I can send things out to you even when you're not looking for it. You know what I mean? Like I can broadcast to you as opposed to it only being like a self-serve kind of a thing where I'm going to go interact with you and what you're offering because I happen to remember that I like you or I bookmarked you on my browser and I'm going to you. Now I follow you on Instagram and you put out a story and now it's, you know, the content is knocking on my door instead of me going for it, mm -hmm. which is yeah, really cool. 
I ultimately see Instagram as a portfolio for creators is the way that I look at it, right? And I think that's true for creators that own physical, you know, brick and mortar stores or creators that are branding experts or creators that are designers, right? Like that's the place that you go to. And I think that's based off the way that Instagram was initially designed, right? Is that it was just photos, but it's... The feed. Yeah, it's just the feed. Um, But really it's just a portfolio. And so I'm looking for kind of a branding expert, someone to help me with a logo for a new project that I'm starting right now. And um, when you actually click the link on her website for it's my work, it immediately takes you to Instagram. Like that's where she (laughs) she leads you to, which I think is great. But I think that if you could build an audience, that's one of the places. It's also ironic because that's one of the places that is most difficult to build an audience right now, right? Yeah. The place that is probably the easiest to build an audience, maybe not easiest, but quickest rate is on TikTok. And we didn't see too much of that, at least um, here. Instagram still takes the cake. Yeah, I was actually surprised about how little TikTok did or like was mentioned as in terms of channels that people are using, um, especially for professional creators. I think it's like, I don't know, 13% said they use TikTok compared to about 60% have an email list and, and an Instagram. Mm-hmm. So that was a reality check for me, I guess, because I saw TikTok as this thing that like has taken the industry by storm. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. actually though, like creators aren't fully prioritizing it yet. Maybe they had just haven't figured out how to monetize it as easily. Maybe. It'll come in time. I was just wondering, obviously ConvertKit is first and foremost a an email marketing company. That's what we always started as. So we've always pushed the importance of email. So I wondered how much of this data was skewed by the fact that people that took the time to do this was already kind of in the create in the ConvertKit sphere of influence and are people that are already on some level either bought into the email thing or at least have artists talk about it enough that they've given it some kind of importance. Mm -hmm. Maybe that skews it because if TikTok were to do something like this, I would think the TikTok numbers would be a lot higher than the fact that we put it out. And that's something I thought we should call out. Yeah, that's a great call out, Miguel. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, It's skewed by that because the survey was shared with our audience. It was shared outside our audience as well. But I believe a good like 54%, 54%, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, of people who responded do already use ConvertKit. So yeah, great point. There is that. In fact, if you go to page 34 on um, on the report, it says where full-time creators grew their audience in 2021 and email newsletter is actually tied alongside Instagram. And that's something that I makes that's a perfect example of of how this data is skewed because I would not say that that is the case in the greater creator economy. I would say that email it's like trending up, right? It's people realizing why have rented real estate when you can own your real estate kind of thing and how email email newsletters in the last year and a half have gained a ton of traction. But I definitely was really interested to see that. I thought that was really cool. It helps us for sure. <laughs> Convert kit. Well, yeah. And also we see like if we can skip into um, one of my next points of things that stood out to me was the importance of email and how there was a correlation between creators who earn in high income brackets. They are most likely to send emails weekly and they are also likely to value email above paid advertising, above social media Mm -hmm. for their business. And so I think there's definitely something to that. Let me pull some numbers here. Yeah. uh, Email came out on top above social media and above paid advertising for both full-time creators and part-time creators 
but full-time creators rated it at higher importance at 8.3 out of 10 and part-time mm. creators at 7.7 out of 10. Mm. And yeah, weekly was the email schedule that creators who were earning more than 150K set themselves on. Yeah. Nathan has um, talked about this actually several times, but when you talk about being a creator marketing platform, right, and where email fits alongside of that, how social media is the thing that allows you to grow your audience, right? It's like the reach, right? So something happens, you go viral and all of a sudden, and I'm I'm saying go viral as though that's an easy thing. Everybody knows (laughs) that's not an easy thing to do. Oh yeah, you just got to do it as an artist to launch your album. Yeah. Go viral. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, you know, social media is you're casting, you're throwing out that that really wide net. And then what you're trying to do is convert those, the, you know, 50% of people that you find on social media, you're trying to convert those 50% of like your truest fans, right? Your biggest mm-hmm. and best fans and convert them from social media as in casual followers to your mega fans, which then become your email subscribers. And your email subscribers are going to be the ones that if you sell product and services are going to be more likely to buy. And, and I don't actually remember if this was something that was in the report. This is just information that I have from being in the convert kit sphere for a long time, right? But it's, we always say that it's a, Social followers are worth 25 cents. Email subscribers are worth a dollar. So they're four times as more likely to buy your content than a casual social follower is. Alejandro adds this from that from the art world, owning your collector's base is vital. The email is the best way to do that. So like Instagram and yeah. other social networks, a way to cast the net and like find people who might be interested, but you've got to own the way to contact them. Yeah. Yeah. Miguel, what do you got for us? One thing I thought that was interesting was in 2021, the main goal of of creators was growing your audience. And that switched over in 2022 to the main goal being income growth. Mm-hmm. So you could see that in 2021, everybody was trying to grow their audience overall. And then eventually that switched over to more people in 2022 wanting to convert that audience and try to make some money. And that is a transition that we talk about a lot here, obviously, is first you try to grow your audience, you try to give some kind of value as kind of like a hook for your audience to kind of see, okay, is this person worth my time? Should I keep coming back here? But eventually you want to try and convert those into subscribers that will pay you for what you do. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was interesting that, and I, I wonder how that coincides with, you know, I think the, this report was talking about the elephant in the room being COVID-19 and how that saw a great rise in the amount of people who were becoming creators. You know, eventually you got to make some money, right? So it's just Mm -hmm. now that the pandemic was kind of more under control, I'm always hesitant to say that it's over because... It is absolutely not. (laughs) It is not. But it's, it's just funny to see that, you know, people are starting to become more comfortable with doing what they need to do to make some money as a creator, as opposed to it just being, it's the same thing that big businesses do. Like Amazon was all about growth, not profit, Mm -hmm. because they see the light at the end of the tunnel is once we grow enough, profit will just happen. Well, it's funny that it's a similar thing when you're a creator. Mm -hmm. One thing that I really liked from this report and that I, I wanted to bring up on this call, because I feel like oftentimes as creators, we get stuck in that like analysis paralysis kind of stage or we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't start selling the thing. Um, and once we start selling the thing or doing the thing, then we always look back and say, I wish I would have started the thing sooner. Yeah. Right. I wish I would have done it sooner. Every 
conference that I've ever been to where someone's talking about email, they always say, I wish I would have started growing my email list sooner. Amy Porterfield being one that says that just so consistently. But on page 28 of the report, one of the things that I really loved as a call out was the idea, not even idea, the fact that you don't need a huge audience to make a living and that the average email list size is actually 645 amongst the respondents. And so that I thought was a really interesting fact. And then we had several notes here from various different creators based off of their list size. Corey Haynes made $7,000 during a course launch to an email list with 300 subscribers. Samar earned $15,000 from a course with a few hundred subscribers. And it goes on, you know, there's a few others on here as well. And it's just this idea that it's really about true fans, right? And Mm -hmm. if you can get those true fans on your email list, that's what you need. And so start sooner, start now. There's no no better time than now. Love them. Charlie, I'm really excited to talk about the happiness levels by income. Oh yeah, this was another one of my favorite things that I was like, honestly, kind of like looking for in the data. I was like, is this going to be true or not? Like does money buy happiness? <laughs> and so what our data has shown is that people in the highest income bracket of earning more than $150,000 a year did report a higher level of happiness than creators in lower income brackets. The difference wasn't huge. Like if I talk about overall, so across full-timers, part-timers, also hobbyists, the average happiness level was 66 out of 10. And the I think the question we asked was like, how happy are you with your work as a creator? <laughs> yeah, something like that. And so 6.6 was the average overall, but for the 150,000 plus income bracket, it was 7.9. So quite a bit higher than the average. Mm. 7.9 was the same rating that full-time creators gave, although they had a higher overall average of 7.1. But something interesting that like, as I mapped this out and started putting this data into a chart, Just because the highest income bracket had the highest happiness level, it doesn't mean it was like a even step up along the way that like we can say the more money you make, the happier you are. Because there was this interesting thing that occurred in the 100 to 150,000 income bracket. So like the second step down where we would see it climbing. So like less than 25,000 had less than 25 to 50,000 and so on. But when you reach this, 100 to 150,000, there was a dip. So for example, in um, like overall across all creators, 7.7 out of 10 was the rating that creators in the income bracket of 75 to 100,000 gave. And then it dipped down to 7.3 out of 10 for creators in this 100 to 150,000 bracket. And that was true across all of the creator types. And I don't know why. It seems odd to me that there was this dip that we just saw occurring. But I wonder if it could be that like once you pass that $100,000 mark, you're like, okay, I'm hungry for more now. And like Mm. my standards are higher for what my income should be and I want to be earning more. I don't know. I'm definitely like putting context onto it in that way. But I could see that being true for the reason that creators in that bracket reported a lower level of happiness. Uh, Yeah, more money, more problems, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) 
explains that. Have you been waiting for me to shut up so that you could say that, Miguel? I've been screaming it in my head for three minutes. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> oh, that just like really made me laugh. <laughs> Another thing that I really liked from the report was the idea that there is a market for every topic. So we have the top 20 content topics overall. And this is where I had uh, mentioned earlier, entrepreneurship, personal development, marketing, online business, art, small business, mental health, which is something that continued to pop up, career development, design, productivity, lifestyle design, faith, technology, and the list goes on. I was very surprised to see food and beverage actually and travel so low on the list because in my mind, yeah, those uh, two food and travel are one of the one like, you know, food bloggers. I feel like that is I feel like food blogging is huge and and same for travel blogging. Yeah. But one of my favorite things about working at ConvertKit is when I am sharing with friends or family what I do, and they're super confused by the idea of what ConvertKit actually does, right? One of like example that I always provide is I'm like, okay, what do you do? What's a skill that you have? And for my mom, for example, my mom is a pastry chef. So I'm like, imagine that if rather than going and working into a restaurant, you taught the internet how to be a better pastry chef and you created courses and, you know, and I always try to use it in that skill set. But it's one of my favorite things is learning about the different type of creators that we have that use our product. For example, we had a story that was told to us, Charlie, you weren't there, but we have a story about him that Issa and Henry are working on about one of our creators. And I'm blanking on his name, Dave. I believe his name is Dave. He's a, he teaches people how to bird watch from their backyard. And who would have thought that somebody could earn close to seven figures teaching people how to bird watch from their backyard? right? Like that is amazing to me. And I know that he probably fits into the category of teacher, right? Because he's educating people on a thing, but what he's educating them on is the most fascinating thing for me. And so there really is an opportunity for the internet is a very big place and people love to learn all sorts of random things. And I just chiming in to say that the story is live. His name is Scott Keller and you can read it. I put a link in the, in the chat and we'll put it in the show notes as well. Dang it. I really thought it was Dave. I thought it was Dave. Dang it. Sorry, Scott. So close. (laughs) Kind of on that same uh, line of thinking is I thought it was really interesting that full-time creators tended to focus more on businessy type of things. And I apologize Mm -hmm. for how sort of like fluffy that word sounds, businessy, but I'll use an equally fluffy word. Artsy creators tended to be more hobbyists and part-time people. And I just thought that was an interesting thing is people that kind of tended to go all in as creators were teaching about things like entrepreneurship and uh, personal development, career development, that kind of stuff. And then people who were, you know, artists and painters and DIYers and stuff like that kind of like sort of do it on the side. I love the, the, how fascinating it is that the type of creator you are lends itself to how much, I don't know if it's people feel like that's how much they need to be successful at something like that, or that's how passionate they are about that. I mean, there's so many different reasons why you would spend more time over less time on something, but it's just interesting that most people were full on entrepreneurs, but there were Mm. very few full on DIYers or full on Mm. artists. So 
This one made me sad. Yeah, noticing this, how the top five content topics for full-time creators were all, like you said, businessy compared to hobbyists that had like art and design and crafts was in there that made it like into the top five. And I don't think it's because those things, like that you can't be a full-time creator and make content about those things. But it's like, I don't know, do people, do creators feel like in order to be a full-time creator, in order to be a professional, they have to go down the route of the development, entrepreneurship, teaching, marketing, that sort of thing. I don't want that to be the case. And I feel like, I feel like it's my personal mission with the work we're doing here at ConvertKit and, and what I do on the brand team to change these results in future years so that we see more people who are like having cool artsy topics, but they're doing it also full time. I don't know, just a little personal mission. (laughs) I think it's about the way that they monetize their business because I have several friends, right? Mandy from Happy Happy Houseplant, for example. And this is actually not a piece of data that came from this particular report, but I was talking with Derek, our director of marketing about this the other day, is that there was a report that I was reading that was saying that in 10 years... Did I bring this up last week? I can't remember now. That in 10 years, 50% of creators don't think that they will still be creating content. It was pretty shocking to me, quite honestly. And one of the, the ways that this conversation kind of moved on with Derek and I is that I was saying a lot of creators, Mandy from Happy Happy Houseplant being one of them, she was, you know, had a DIY blog for, you know, 10 15 years. She was one of the very early bloggers. And then she migrated her business model to where she's still teaching content, teaching how to take care of plants, but she really transitioned her business into a product line. And I've seen a lot of creators do that. She referenced on the episode where we hosted her with Jenny Comenda, who is also a design blogger, and she created Juniper Print Shop, right? Where she sells her digital product, or they're not, they're either digital or physical, mm-hmm. one or the other. The reason why I see that is because it's coaches that are talking about entrepreneurship, they're selling really high ticket items, right? They're selling courses for thousands of dollars. Whereas if you're a DIY blogger, you are relying on traffic from like AdSense or from ads, or you're relying on sponsorships. And that requires a different skill set. And also it's just a totally different monetization method when you're comparing the two different types of creators. At least that's why how I interpret that. I wasn't surprised by that. I wish I knew the answer on how to solve that. Yeah. But I don't. I think it's honestly about just like showing the the creative artist types, the monetization options available to them, right? Yeah. Like you don't have to teach people marketing to be able to earn a living as a creator and be a full-time creator. Yeah. There is options out there. And I think that we just need to do a better job of educating creators on what that could be and like opening their eyes to it, you know? Yeah. All right, friends. Well, you know, I know we could talk about this for hours because there is 70 pages. 70 something pages of results. Yeah. (laughs) 70 pages of results, but we don't want to give away all of the goodness. So I would really encourage you, if you have not, go download the Creator Economy Report. Again, I threw up the URL here if you are watching. If not, it is in the show notes. But go take a look and uh, let us know in the comments of this if there was a particular piece of data or statistic that just really shocked you, blew your mind, or you were just particularly inspired by, or also 
enraged by, like the pay, the pay mm-hmm. gap, like Charlie and I are feeling. As far as listener shout outs, we did not have any requests or submissions last week. So I am going to pat myself on the back and shout myself out because... <laughs> <laughs> I have been feeling uh, very creative lately. And I, there are two things that I did recently. I did a branding photo shoot for a friend and I've been editing the photos and they look fucking awesome. So I'm very excited. I'm going to be delivering them to her uh, next week. She has a real estate business. And again, I just do this for fun because I really love it. But since everybody has been on this journey and I'll just share it now, eventually I'll get the details out. But everyone, since everyone has heard, if you're a regular listener, I launched Happy Happy Houseplant with my friend Mandy um, a few years back prior to COVID happening. And then I ended up having to step back just because of personal family reasons and the timing not being right. And my good friend, Aaron and I are diving into a new project right now. And I just am in like a really good, healthy space. But the reason why I'm really excited about this is because it's a very similar business model to Happy Happy Houseplant. And so I'm feeling like really prepared and like I'm ready to go all in. And that quite honestly, that I have the time and energy to do it and that my family has the capacity to allow me to do it. So I'm really excited about that. It was a, a, a step And, you know, I need to scratch that itch again. And uh, so I'll share eventually. I know. I'm like, we need to make a whole episode about (laughs) this, about the like you kicking it off, picking an idea. Like I'm just writing down down topic ideas right now. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. It'll be fun. And then up next week, Charlie, I believe you are the host, right? No, I think it's Miguel next week. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, Miguel, do you want to talk about? um, Yeah, you were. I don't think you're even going to be here next week, are you, Charlie? I'm here next week. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. No, you're taking some kind of leave at some point. So I mean, unless you want me to not be here. I mean, no, 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 no. You're, you're t- you, I thought you were taking leave <laughs> at some point, but I guess that's like on a month from now or something. I'll be off in June. We don't have to worry people about it right now. Don't don't panic, everyone. Okay, don't worry. Don't worry, everyone. <laughs> so I will be talking about how to budget as a creator and kind of specifically like how much money should you invest in a side hustle? Timely for Haley, actually, then. Yeah. Yes. So we will be diving into that next week. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. I know. All right, friends. We will see you next week. Have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. And bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.